this morning, I want to take us to a part of scripture that isn't specifically a resurrection story, but it has resurrection application. So I'm going to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8, our text this morning, as we look at the word of God is verses 1 through 14. If you don't have your own Bible, there are plenty in the room. Help yourself to one. And uh, if you do not own one, you are welcome to actually take that home. You can make that your own. We'd like you to have the Word of God handy, available to you. I don't know, you can get it on your phone, but it's nice to have a paper copy, so feel free to take that one with you. Uh, before we read the text of Scripture, I want to lead us in a prayer, and would you uh, join me? Father in heaven, uh, we acknowledge before you that apart from Christ being raised, we would have no access to you. Apart from Christ being raised, we'd have no hope. But God, what we need this morning is to hear from you. Uh, and while many of us have heard this story again and again and again and, and just take it for granted, its implications are eternal and every day. And I pray that we would know that. Father, I am tasked with proclaiming this word. A mere man cannot accomplish your work. So I pray that your spirit would indeed work in this room, work in our hearts, give us minds and hearts that are ready to hear from you, to think and, and move past the voice of the mere man uh, and, and listen for your voice, God. So we pray that that would happen. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think you know this is true, that uh, in some cities you can find street vendors who will sell you a designer purse, if you're into that sort of thing, that, that should cost $1,500, but you can get it for 50 bucks. You can also get a, a Breitling or a Rolex watch for under 100 Now, of course, we know that they are cheap because they're not the real deal. They are counterfeits. These knockoffs may at some level appear to be genuine, but they're not manufactured or engineered to the same standards as the genuine article. We know that. So they're not likely to last very long. Now, we might say, what's the big deal about counterfeits? What's the big deal of that? Well, ending up with a counterfeit purse or a watch, well, that's not really significant, and you may be nothing more than embarrassed that you got a piece of junk. But when it comes to things like medical devices and pharmaceuticals, I think we're much more concerned with counterfeits. I don't want to take a chance in that realm on a knockoff. I want the real thing. I want the thing that will do what it is promised to do. Now, thinking about life itself, there is a kind of existence that leads to eternal life, an existence that that involves exponentially increasing eternal joy in the presence of God. It's the real deal. But there's a kind of existence that leads to unending death, that leads to condemnation and eternal separation from God. It makes a lot of promises, but it fails to deliver. That's a counterfeit. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is first and foremost about the very glory of Jesus himself to, 
to save a people and, and bring them to himself. But, but this morning, I want to focus on the effect of that for us. And I want to talk this morning about real life and how the very resurrection of Jesus, that fact that happened nearly 2,000 some years ago, how that can give you real life. And so to do that, I want to take us to this part of the Bible I invited you to turn, um, explains how that works. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. Let's read the Bible together, and we're going to discover what are the marks of real life. Hear the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And listen to this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal, give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let me read that last verse again. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. This is the Word of God. So from this part of the Scripture this morning, I want to look at what the resurrection of Jesus does for us. So the first thing I want to point your attention to, Jesus' resurrection, what it means to us is no condemnation. No condemnation. Now, if people's words had actual power, I, I think we'd be amazed to find what had been consigned to hell. I don't know if you're following me on this. What I mean is how many times the word it, referring to some object like a computer or a phone that broke or a Titleist Pro V1 that missed the fairway or a car that didn't start, all the time that thing so described was preceded by the word damn, right? If our words had power, how much of that stuff? And add to that, add to that, the list of people who likewise have been cursed by another. And the fact is, people are rather casual about condemnation. 
I think it's true, even towards people that they love. The words, they just fall out of their mouths as if the prospect of hell and condemnation is of little eternal concern. But condemnation is real. The Bible makes that clear. And God is not, not casual about it. Now, looking at our Bible passage, it begins, and this is good news to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, good news. Good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. In one moment, we'll, we'll see what that means from our passage. But, but just to make it clear, the corollary to that is there is, there is condemnation for everyone else. You let that sink in. If you're not in Christ Jesus, maybe you have, have thought, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was condemned. This is a basic Bible truth. God's word tells us that the wages, that is to say what we earn from sin, is death. Now, that's not just a physical death. That means eternal condemnation. The Bible uses the word hell. It's a place of eternal torment away from the eternal protection, from the eternal joy and favor of God. It's not a place where we want to be. It's not a place where we should ever consign anyone to. And the only way that any of us would be exempt from this consequence is to never, ever have committed at any point in life any sin, any time. Now, if you need a moment of self-evaluation to see if you've never sinned, let me just answer the question from the Bible. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. No one, no one is exempt from this charge. That means we've all broken God's laws. And, and we know this is true, don't we? We just have to think about what we've done in the last 24 hours. So, okay, so what are God's laws? What are we talking about? Well, let's start with the Ten Commandments. That really is a summary of all of them. And so just to ask yourself in the moment, have you ever valued something or someone above God? Have you ever done that? And none of us, really, I think, sitting here, honest with ourselves, none of us can get past this first commandment in innocence. And then we add to the list, right? Have you ever lied about someone, borne false witness? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever coveted, just desired something to, to the deprivation of someone else? Have you ever cheated on your spouse in your heart? Guilty, 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 guilty. Ten times we're guilty. Now, none of us likes to be judged. You say, don't, don't judge me. We don't, we don't like to be judged. But I assure you that you fully expect others to be judged. I think this is true. If someone vandalized your car or stole from you or, or horribly murdered someone you love, you would want the police to catch that criminal. You would want the full force of the law to come upon that person. Now listen, if justice matters to you, and I know it does, how much more, how much infinitely more does it matter to God. Now, back to the good news here. If you're in Christ Jesus, 
there is no condemnation. Because Jesus died and rose again. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Now I'll take you to verse 2 to explain how this works. Here it says in verse 2 of the text that we read, For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I know this passage is a little bit theological, but let's break it down. The law of the, the, the Spirit of life, right? The law of the Spirit of life. That's a principle. The Spirit of life is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The principle, right? What is that? That is what sets us free from this other principle, the law of sin and death, the principle. And, and that principle is this, the fact that you would be condemned before God because of your sin. Now, whether you know that or not, the Spirit sets us free from that principle. And what happens then? If you've been set free from that principle by the Spirit, what it does in you, it gives you a genuine sorrow for the very sin that should have caused your condemnation. And it opens your eyes, the Spirit, not it, He opens your eyes to who Jesus is. Giving you that sense that this Son of God became human, died on this Roman cross, taking upon himself all of my sin, all of your sin, taking it to the grave with him. If your eyes have been opened to that truth and you say, I need that. I hate my sin. I need that. That's the Spirit of God, this principle of the law, this principle of the Spirit of God. He has now set you free from that condemnation that was yours. Now, why does it work this way? Verse 3. For God has done, so this is God's initiative, what the law, now the law is just that, that code which says here you've got to obey this to please God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall, shall love your neighbor as yourself as a summary of the, of the second table, right? Why does it work this way? The law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do something. So God did something. Now what, what does this mean? God's will for us is to obey his laws. For us to stand in his presence, to, to be welcomed into his eternal family, we have to be perfect. So he gave the law. He gave his commandments. But what did that accomplish in us? Well, what the law of God does is it reveals that we're lawbreakers. It just exposes us. It shows us that we have no power. The law couldn't make us righteous. It just stands there and condemns us. Our sinful flesh is weak. We have no ability on our own to obey. And so to remedy that problem, this is what God has done. He has sent his son. It was his initiative, his plan, motivated by his by his love. Continuing verse 2, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is how it all works. So we're sinful flesh, right? I think we've agreed on that. We have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The son of God came into the world as a man. He was like us in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he remained sinless. 
And maybe, maybe you know that, that, that verse. Maybe you've committed it to memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God sent his son. And in our passage, it says, for sin. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus came into the world looking at us saying, they're a mess. They're a mess. They can't save themselves. Jesus takes on human flesh in order to condemn sin in the flesh. You see, God isn't just going, all right, I forgive it. No worries. That's not justice. If a judge stands before that, that person who stole your car or murdered your loved one and says, all right, just go on, get out of here. Just don't do it again. You'd be incensed. It's not justice. You would say, where is the justice? In the same way, God cannot sweep, sweep away our sin. So in the death of the Son of God, he condemned the sin that was on us. He took it from us and put it on his son. And he buried it in the grave. So in his death, he condemned our sin in his flesh when he died. This is, this is so beautiful and sacrificial. It is the most infinitely glorious demonstration of love that has ever been. I think you'd agree. We, the undeserving, we the sinful, we the blasphemer, we the rebellious. God shows us his son. He says, here, here's your way out. Trust him, trust him. He's going to take your sin. He's going to die so you don't have to be condemned. Trust him. God is perfect. Again, he cannot accept us with our sin. He sees that we're condemned by it. And that's this love. In his love, he sends his son, effectively condemning his very son in our place. And verse 4 in our text, it tells us what that accomplished. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So God has a righteous requirement for, our, for, for us to keep his law. He condemned sin in the flesh of his son so that the righteous requirement of God's law is actually fulfilled in us. You didn't earn this. You didn't work your way towards it. God just said, here's the substitute. You who believe, you've now met my perfect demands for righteousness. Now, could anything be simpler? Could anything be, be more glorious? Just trust Jesus. So the Son of God took our sin upon himself, and I know I'm repeating myself, but I really want to get this. He died so that our own obligation for the law would be ultimately fulfilled in us. And so in Christ, this is what you have. If you've trusted Christ, you have a complete pardon. And not only that, and I've stated it already, but you also have the perfect obedience that God demands because you are now in Christ. Because Christ obeys perfectly, and if you're in him, you are counted as obeying perfectly. So I'm going to give you another verse. I quote this often. Craig, you'll love this. For our sake, 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, the Lord Jesus Christ, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, in Christ, you become the righteousness of God. Now, who does this apply to? Who does this apply to? Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So listen, the proof of whether you believe this or not, really believe it, the proof that you've been set free from this principle of sin and death leading to condemnation, the proof is that you walk not according to the flesh. What does it mean to walk according to the flesh? It means to give in to every evil craving, right? But rather to live being guided, controlled, directed, moved by the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Those who have been set free from the law of sin and death by definition, are those who live according to the Spirit. Either or. If you're living according to the Spirit, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. If you're living according to the flesh, you're not living according to the Spirit. And here's the horror. You're still condemned. So what this means is if you're truly trusting in Jesus for who he is as the Son of God and for what he has done in taking your condemnation upon him, himself, what it does, it changes. It changes how you live. I'm going to get to what that looks like in a moment, but I need to say this. I cannot think of anything more tragic than living your whole life believing that you're all right with God, but being still condemned, being self-deceived living a counterfeit life. And there are so many people who have simply ignored what the Bible says about how someone is saved. They think if they believe in God in their, their own way, everything will be fine, right? Maybe they're just singing along with the Doobie Brothers. Uh, there was some artists who, yeah, and you know what song I'm talking about, right? Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. Right? Jesus is just all right. A lot of artists in that time, they were just kind of dabbling in religion. Maybe Norman Greenbaum, maybe you know this one. When I die, they lay me to rest. Gonna go to the place that's the best. When they take me, when they lay me down to die, going up to the spirit in the sky. Going up to the spirit in the sky, that's where I'm going to be when I die. When I die, they lay me to rest. I'm going up to the place that's the best. He's, he's a Jew, and he has not received Christ, the true Messiah, as his own savior. But he's saying that. He's pretty confident of something. You know, this, this whole idea, this, this sort of religiosity, it's captured uh, in, in what people say about their dearly departed at funerals. And maybe you've heard this. People who are not particularly religious, they have no acknowledgement of Jesus. And, and they'll say this, you know, she's in a better place. Based on what? It's salvation by wishful thinking. And one of the most frightening things that Jesus taught was when he described what would happen at the final judgment. He said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
Not everyone who says, I think I know you. For real life, you have to come to God on his terms. Not what you've invented in your own mind. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't say all paths lead to the same place. They don't. There's but one path, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified, trusting in him. Every other path is a counterfeit, leads to death. So, good news. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, real life, eternal life, means no condemnation. Second point. There's only two today. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, real life, eternal life, that's an empowered life. An empowered life. I think you know this. The state of California leads the nation, I think, in the adoption of EVs, um, um, Thank you. And I think it's probably in part due to the concentration of, of wealth. They're very expensive. You all know that. Maybe you own one. But uh, in part, I think it's ideology. Uh, but it's also political pressure, right, that regards fossil fuels as a menace. Interestingly, and for some of the same reasons, California's power grid is not as reliable as in some other states. We know that. So it turned out to be very inconvenient for many and slightly amusing for the rest of us in other states that last summer, those with Teslas and other EVs, they were told not to recharge their cars due to the excess demand on electricity during that heat wave. Now, you may want a Tesla. I'm kind of partial to the internal combustion engine, but whatever. Uh, but if you want one, there's, that's fine. They're a beautiful car, but you know this. Without electricity, it cannot do what it's intended to do. It cannot take you where you want to go. And without power, it's just an expensive brick. <laughs> Diesel, yeah. <laughs> now, in a much greater sense, in a much greater sense, Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot accomplish what you're intended to do. You cannot reach your intended destination. You may look good, you may impress others, but you will not have real life. Now, I don't want to confuse things here. It would be wrong to think of the Holy Spirit as merely a power source. That's not true. He is a person. He is present and active and empowers the lives of every true child of God. That is true. And because that is true, because that is true, he changes. He changes how you think and act. So for those who are not condemned, it's because of the Spirit. Now the Spirit is involved in your ongoing life. It's not just a one-time deal. You opened your eyes to see Jesus. But there's some active power at work in you going forward. Here's what it says in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So, without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, you live according to the flesh, and that's where your mind will be. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, just to kind of break it down, I think we get this. But to have your mind on the flesh, and it doesn't mean you're thinking about your skin and bones, 
but it means, it, it, the Bible uses that word as a kind of a, a, a euphemism for, for base cravings and appetites that are unrighteous, okay? As opposed, opposed to God's purposes. So, somebody whose mind is on the flesh, living according to the flesh. You think about your bodily appetites, how to satisfy them without regard for God's design. So you might be thinking, well, what makes me feel important? Well, it might involve putting someone down or gossiping or bragging about your accomplishments, lifting ourselves up. What, what makes me wealthy? Well, take what you can get, cheat, steal, defraud. What might make me feel really good in the moment? Some sense of euphoria, drugs, booze, get drunk, get high. If it feels good, go for it. How about sex? Whenever and with whomever you feel like. No regard for God's design bounded by covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Now, you may not manifest these external acts, but let me say, you're not excluded from this having the mind of the flesh or setting your mind on the flesh, even if you don't act out. Because if, if in the quiet of your mind and your heart, you are consumed with these, but maybe just constrained by the fear of shame, it's not a whole lot different. And I think we understand this. By the standards of the world, those things that I described, that is living it up. That's taking hold of life and, and living it to the full. And we see this played out in pop music and, and just the lifestyles of the rich and famous. But if you set your mind on these things, if you, if you set your mind on pleasing your cravings, you will act accordingly. And it has the appearance of a fulfilled life, but it is an illusion. It is a counterfeit because it leads to condemnation. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends, if you're not a yet a believer, this is drawing a very hard line. I realize that. It's a hard line. And maybe in Resurrection Sunday, you wanted a fuzzy message. Just give me good news. But the good news is only good news in light of the very horrific bad news. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The scripture is full of warnings for people who are professing believers. One came to mind this morning, 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5. The Apostle Paul there says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Take a look inside. Look at your motivations. What's, what's your motivation? So if someone has no regard for God's law, right? If someone has no regard for God's word, looks at it as an intrusion, a, a limit on personal freedom. That, that person is hostile to God. And because that person does not have the Spirit of God, he cannot please God. That person is, in effect, declaring themselves to be God's enemy. Now, that's for comparison, okay? Verse 9 continues. You, however, Paul says, this is, this is actually good news. That's not you. But he lays it out there as a, as a warning. Just look at yourself. Are you pursuing the flesh or, you, or you have your mind set in the spirit? He says this is the good news. You, however, not in the flesh but in the spirit. But then 
Check yourself if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And again, drawing a hard line again, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. There's no neutrality here, friends. If you love God, you love obedience to him, and you want to submit to him because you know God is perfect love. Whatever God calls us to, whatever he asks us to, commands us to, it's because he loves. He knows. So if he says that thing is sin, he says that because he loves you. Here's the logic. If you're not condemned, it's because you are in Christ Jesus, okay? We've already established that. And if you are in Christ, then you have the Spirit of Christ. And if you have the Spirit of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit, then and only then do you belong to God. This is all of a package. It's all together. There's no stages in this. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you are not condemned. It's all instantaneous. Once you understand who Jesus is as the Son of God crucified in your place for you, when you're repentant of your sin before God and you claim that, that's the Spirit of God working in you. It's nothing you did on your own. And then because you belong to God, you can, you can please Him because the Spirit of God empowers you to do so. And this is the thing I want my Christian friends to know. Obedience is possible. It is possible. If Jesus did not die for our sins and rise again, none of this would be possible, but he did. The Spirit of God only resides in those who are in Christ because you've been united with him in his death and his resurrection. That's all a package. And even though our bodies, we know it, they have an expiration date because of sin, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual life so that now it is actually possible to live righteously. Now, listen, I know we, we fail at this, and, and I'm not saying, and nor is the Bible saying, that you're going to be perfect from this day forward because you've trusted Christ. But it's the orientation of your life. You see, there's a provision for us. Because our minds are set on what Christ has accomplished, when we falter, when we take our eyes off of him and we, we commit that sin, we say that unkind word to our loved one, when we think a hateful thought or feel in any number of sins, and we get that conviction, like, ah, that's not who I am. That's not who God called me to be. And God gives us this glorious provision because he knows we still stumble and bumble around, right? If you say you have no sin, you call God a liar, it says in 1 John. So don't say that. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, righteous to forgive and cleanse. He's righteous because he's already put that sin on his son. And all you're doing before God is saying, I have failed. But in that moment when you've confessed, God says, you're forgiven. It's glorious. So now, as a child of God, you are in the place where you now have both the command and the power to obey. And what that means is that we cannot be passive. We cannot be passive in this. We must actively seek obedience. We must actively fight against temptation by setting our minds on Christ and, and setting our minds on all that is holy and pure and beautiful and good. And if you were in the Sunday school class this morning, Sam was teaching on, on taking up your cross and following Jesus and dealing with this very matter. What does that look like? It's an empowered life because the Spirit dwells in you. And we, sit, we, uh, we read this together. If then, this is what you do actively, right? It's not passive. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, that is to say, if you have been born again, if you have new life in Christ, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, if Christ's resurrection means to you, yes, I know I have life in him. If then you have been raised with Christ, what do we do? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's the fleshly things, right? So we got to make a decision. And here's the reason. For you died. That person who you were, that person who was living for the flesh, living for the, for the cravings of the appetite, that person died. He was buried with Jesus in the tomb. And that man was left there, and a new man rose up with him. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, that's your status before God. Where am I? As a believer in Jesus, my life is hidden with Christ in God. And you've got to do this all the time. The Spirit of God helps us, convicts us, motivates us through, through the ordinary aspects of God's grace to us, His gifts to us through, through worship when we gather like this, or, or fellowship, or, or hearing the Bible preached and, and taught. The Spirit uses those means in your life to, to, to grow you into the likeness of Christ, which is God's will for you empowering us, yes, actually empowering us to please God in the things we do. So the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, what that does, it takes away the eternal consequence of our sin. Done, gone. And if you've trusted in him, you're not condemned. Great news. But then the resurrection of Jesus from the grave gives you power. This is for the present. Power by the Holy Spirit to please God, to obey him, to love his truth. And finally, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, the Spirit of God guarantees you a perfect body when Jesus returns. So as Christians, we look forward to this. We live in this in-between time. We're saved, but we don't have full salvation. Right? We long for something more, and Christ promised to return. And this is what he says. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will, his future, will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. He will give life because you've died. So you and I are going to die. That's going to happen. But because of Christ... Because of his resurrection, there is the sure promise of, of real life, eternal life, in, a, in an actual body. You, but perfected, and this will be glorious. No more, no more sinful inclinations, no temptations to gnaw at your mind, to fight with. No more sin, you won't actually do that. No pain, no disease, no weakness, no sorrow, and no more death ever again for all eternity when we are with Christ forever. And that happens when he returns. And so this is for you, if you believe, and only if you believe. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned for those of you who may be living this counterfeit Christian life. The external trappings 
of religiosity, but a heart that just wishes you could get away with some stuff, just wishes to be consumed with fleshly passions. I'm concerned for you. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now, if you have not done so today, I want to plead with you. If you have not done so, I plead with you to trust Christ today. You need to confess your sin before God. You need to trust that Jesus, the Son of God, died. That he did that for you. That he was buried in a tomb. That he rose again on the third day. That you might be forgiven. So that you might leave that counterfeit life that ends in, in death and condemnation and instead be empowered to live the real life that is eternal. Trust him today. Don't, don't leave this room if you have not settled the matter. And if you are a believer, and that's a great many of you in this room, be grateful. And I know you are. We're no longer condemned. We're no longer condemned. And that means we can come to the Father in prayer. And he doesn't look at us as a judge. He looks at us like a tender father. He says, let me show you. Come this way. Okay, you kind of stumbled there, but let's get back up and let's, let's do this. He wants to lead you. There's no condemnation. And when you fall hard, and you might, oh, don't stay there. Look to Jesus and be reminded, as horrific as that thing is, he died for that sin too. Confess it and come back. And maybe you're in that place this morning where you're, you've done some things, you think, well, I guess it's all done. It's over. I, I'll just sort of fake my way. No, don't do that. Confess your sin. Look to Christ. And come back to the Father. So be grateful. Because you have the Spirit of God. You have the power of God to live the real life in a way that truly pleases God. As we patiently wait for Christ to return. Because Christ has risen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a glorious thing that your son, our savior, bore our sin. It's a glorious thing. It's a, it's a mind-boggling thing that you would do for us. While we are still sinners, while we are still rebellious, while we are still blaspheming you, you sent your son to die for us. And Father, it's an indescribable gift as your word describes and so, uh, as your people, we're grateful. And we ask that you would keep the cross and the resurrection of Jesus always before us so that it, that fact, that gospel, that truth, along with your Holy Spirit who dwells in us, would, would motivate us towards loving what is righteous and, and pure and holy and, and good. That's the kind of people we want to be, Father as we wait for your son to return and take us to be in fellowship with you for eternity. Until that day, God, keep us faithful. For the glory of Jesus, amen.